Welcome to the Sports Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Luhr, and yesterday I will be the guest as well. I have decided to share some of my stories of my 25 years in this amazing industry, how I got in it, and what I've learned as a business owner and entrepreneur, things which worked, and of course, the many things which didn't work. Um, similar to these amazing guests I've had over the last six, seven, eight months now, on the podcast, uh, there's tons of stories, um, and I'd, I'd love to share some with you. So here we go. Um, you know, we always started off with a bit about how people get into the industry. Well, here's my uh, short, longer version of that. I was always into sports. I was uh, playing tennis uh, when I was very young, so tennis was my thing. And I was a uh, ended up being a ball boy at a professional tennis tournament in Cologne. When I was very young. Uh, and so one of the vivid memories I had being part of when Boris Becker had his first professional tournament before he won Wimbledon playing at the tournament. And so I stayed around that tournament until I was about 18, 19, uh, sort of, you know, grew up and did a bit of management work there and, and really got a good sense of, you know, how a tournament was run on the back of it. Uh, still at that time had absolutely no idea that this would ever become uh, a potential profession. Fast forward, uh, ended up in the United States, studying there um, in Texas, TCU, so I'm a horned frog. And luckily, I was in Fort Worth, and uh, at that time, the, uh, the United States was awarded the FIFA World Cup in 1994. So this was several years prior to that, while I was studying. Um, so I volunteered, ended up hanging around the offices there, and every time someone on FIFA showed up, uh, they called the German kit, because uh, a lot of the FIFA officials, of course, were German speakers. And, uh, and I was there to help him out. So on the back of it, just uh, had an opportunity to get to know a lot of interesting people and made relationships. So big you know, hint for anyone in this who, uh, who is studying right now or wants to come into this industry, just find places to go and connect with the industry. You know, And none of these maybe are paying jobs at the beginning, but uh, it gets you in there. And this was a perfect example in my case as well. Uh, my first real experience really was with American Airlines, um, where I had an incredible summer internship uh, where I got myself in there to help them build their World Cup campaign, again, for 1994. That was so much fun because I was the only uh, person in the entire office there who had a clue about football, being German. All my American colleagues really you know, didn't care much about it. So uh, they put me in charge of just about everything as an MBA student. Um, I guess I figured, you know, I might be able to figure this out. So um, my, one of my, again, vivid memories was being in uh, Mexico City at the Azteca Stadium, uh, sitting next to, at that time, uh, FIFA President Joe Havalanche uh, as the American Airlines representative. I think I was 24, 25 or something. And, uh, and hosting or hosting him uh, because American Airlines was the title sponsor of the event there. So incredible atmosphere, 120,000 fans in the stadium. Uh, Mexico beat America, the U.S. 4-0, and we ended up going on the pitch and, and handing over the trophy. Uh, I think that was the first time I realized that this is something I'd love to do uh, for a living. Having that atmosphere, being part of something at, at that level uh, was just incredible. So uh, again, a couple of years later then, I, I graduated in 94, and right after that, luckily the World Cup kicked off in the US, uh, and I ended up a job with ISL Marketing. That was again, unbelievable experience, spending you know one month um, as the venue manager in Dallas, coordinating things on the ground, et cetera. 
And then I ended up with my real first job, in a sense, was in Hong Kong, um, with a company at that time was called the Asia Sport Group. Later on became the World Sport Group, uh, and later on was sold to Lagardere, uh, and now it's Lagardere Sports, or Lagardere Asia. Um, so lots of old colleagues there, but uh, I was in that, uh, I was spent about three years in the, in, the, in the company there, helping to set up the Asian Basketball Confederation marketing program, and then eventually ended up be, working with the team who uh, created the Asian PGA Golf Tour. So we started, we had this crazy idea to launch a full-blown golf tour in Asia, uh, and we did overnight. It was, I think, 1996, uh, where we launched the uh, the tour with 20 events. Um, at that time, I had already moved to Malaysia to be next to the Federation and hold their hand and, and again, guide the process. So. Again, fast forward a little bit there to the later part of 1997 when uh, I decided it maybe, and I would say this in my, uh, at that time, at my useful ignorance or arrogance, I was 29, um, that I could do this myself. So I jumped um, out, got into, started my own company. Um, and of course, lo and behold, what, what happens the next thing? We have this Asian financial crisis. Um, anyone in Asia uh, would remember that at a time. It was as devastating as to some degree what we're seeing right now, or at least what the world saw in 2008 and 2009. Um, currencies just went crazy. And so, of course, having this great business idea went pretty much straight out of the window, and, um, and we had to retool very heavily. And when I said we, it was me and one other guy. So this, uh, that was the beginning of TSA. It's now 23 years ago, and luckily, um, the, the good start to the story is that we're still around, and we've been reincarnated on several occasions. So um, I call this right now, we would be at TSA 5.0. And maybe over the next, uh, you know, sort of 20 minutes, I'll talk you through what were the 1.0, 2.0, et cetera, versions here. You know, because t 23 years, it's a long journey for anyone being in, you know, building your own company, seeing the ups and downs, uh, as you can only imagine. And not some of it were things which were brought in from the outside, um, you know, whether it's the global crisis in 2008 or 2009, and of course what we're seeing now here with COVID, and others were self-internally created um, scenarios where we just made a bunch of mistakes and had to pay a price for that. So let's get a bit into that side of the story. Now, so TSA 1.0, many people have heard me say that it was really, we were the WWE agency. Uh, very quickly after our first year when we got off the blocks, um, we were managed to uh, get a great contract to represent the World Wrestling Federation at that time, which then later on became World Wrestling Entertainment uh, here in Asia. It was, again, one of these great stories where one of my staff was a big fan of it. I have to admit, uh, when I was studying in the U.S., I would probably had watched five minutes of it. I just couldn't quite get my head around the product at all. Um, but he was a big fan, and he convinced me that you know we should do something with it. There was an in, there was an appetite in Malaysia specifically, uh, and we did. So we ended up buying the product um, or placing it for a sponsor on uh, on a broadcaster here here in Malaysia for not a lot of money. And lo and behold, it became the number one rated TV program overnight. Uh, just massively successful, uh, very very popular. And WWE got wind of it uh, and went to came to us and said, "Hey, Marcus, what you guys did here? They're in Malaysia. That's kind of cool. Uh, can you do this sort of in some of the other?" countries here in Asia. And again, without going into too much detail of that side of the story, uh, we did. And we became very successful to take a very American product and let's use the word Asianize it, um, make it locally relevant. Um, and we created all sort of really interesting ways of talking to our customer, which of course were broadcasters at that time. 
And that wasn't trying to convince them how great this was in the United States and how big ratings they had, but just making it very locally relevant for him. And I give you one simple example. Um, most of the uh, the buyers were, of course, you know, slightly older gentlemen or you know, sometimes ladies, and uh, and they just again, WWE wasn't their thing. But most of them had children, and a lot of those children loved WWE. So what do we do? We would give them T-shirts and caps and all sort of stuff, and just say, look, why don't you just take this home and you know maybe maybe someone there might enjoy it. And I can tell you several stories where people literally within a week or sometimes days would call us back and say, Marcus, you know what, this WWE thing, let's have another conversation because my son just thinks this would be the coolest thing ever if I'm as his dad uh, would put this on air. So, you know, again, keep listening to my little uh, stories and tricks here. Um, This isn't just stories. This is, you know, there are underlying elements in there of how um, we had built, we've built the company and we've helped brands operate, right? Um, so this became a huge story, and uh, again, without going into all the nitty-gritty side of it, but within a span of eight years, we generated 170 million U.S. dollars for WWE. So, in our you know less than let's say 10 years, the first sort of 1.0 version, being the WWE agency, we all we saw were growth, growth, growth. We grew like crazy. Uh, our own revenue uh, went from you know a few hundred thousand U.S. dollars into tens of millions of dollars. We made a lot of money, WWE made even more money, and we became a very, very successful agency here with offices across the region uh, at a peak. We were close to 100 people uh, with seven offices, everything from Japan, three offices in India, China, Thailand. Uh, We even went to Dubai at one point in time, and uh, we're forgetting anything here. Of course, Malaysia, where's our head office, Singapore, etc. So uh, we had a large presence, uh, large overheads. Uh, and that was, a, uh, you know, later when we talk a bit more about some of the learnings here, that was probably one of the big mistakes already I made, is that I, as usual, when we went too quick, too fast. Um, you know, we just kept, uh, we, made, we were making lots of money and we just kept putting that money, of course, to use to, create, to get bigger and grow, grow faster. And I do remember my good friend Donald Dell, who I've interviewed as well, uh, always telling me, Marcus, watch your overheads. Your overheads are going to kill you. Well, I guess I was young and stupid, and I didn't quite listen to that. Uh, and later on, we definitely found out that uh, the gentleman was right. So another lesson to be learned there. Now, 1.0 version, really, uh, I always say we worked ourselves out of job. We made WB so much money as well, of course. We were making good money as an agency because we were getting paid a good commission. Someone there decided, you know, it's time to take this in-house, uh, which they did. And uh, on the back of it, uh, started their own offices here in the WWE office in the, in the region. And we were out of a job in a sense. So luckily, we were not only selling WWE at that time. We were selling lots of other television rights as well. And so we were able to soften the blow and, and re-pivot the company in, in, in other directions. And in 2.0 version, which probably started around 2008 and 2009, uh, we were a very heavily media-driven agency. Uh, we ended up winning several large contracts with uh, record sports. Uh, we represented the U.S. Open Tennis, uh, the Batman World Federation, uh, BWF, ITTF, International Table Tennis Federation, International Squash Federation, etc. So, uh, you know, we really had a very strong uh, badminton portfolio, which wasn't just in Asia anymore. Um, we now really truly were selling globally. 
Uh, we took, you know, what maybe people would consider Asian sports, uh, Asian record sports, badminton, table tennis. We took it globally, um, knowing, of course, that uh, the larger audience was here. So the bigger countries maybe came out of Asia, but uh, we were selling globally. That's, that was, again, great period. Um, a lot of interesting things we were doing there. Um, as usual, not everything worked, of course, but uh, overall we were, we were we were running quite well. Um, you know, in between, of course, you had 2008 and 09 crisis, which crushed the world uh, from an advertising point of view. So, all the ad dollars were disappearing. Um, that was the first time ever after 10 years of solid growth and making money every single day. Um, in 08 or 09, we did see a dip, um, and this came from because we had large overheads and revenues all of a sudden disappeared on us, which, you know, many other people had the same. So, you know, we had a painful two years there. I had to retool the company quite a bit, um, but luckily we we're sitting quite a bit of money because we had brought a private equity group into the firm at that time. And, uh, and so we, we weathered the storm and we came out flying. Um, you know, I remember 2010, 11 and 12, we hit absolute new highs uh, at a peak. We were doing about 50 million US dollars of gross revenue in 2012. And that was, uh, it was again, an incredible learning how coming, how we were able to swing out of this full guns blazing. Um, after this major crisis, which is sort of something I'm hoping will happen once we get through this crisis, that uh, there will be again this sort of uh, incredible, exciting uptake there. Now, then came 3.0. You know, in the year 2000, sort of 13, 14, we were, uh, we, we created a crisis internally. Um, it started with our office in India, which uh, imploded. Um, we had made wrong decisions in the media business. Uh, we had bought content we couldn't sell, and we were just writing che large checks with uh, with rights holders where we didn't sell a thing. So it's literally taking, you know, a million dollars and putting up in flames. Um, you didn't sell anything, and the, and the product was evaporating, of course, because it was all live content. So we got our fingers burned quite a bit, and uh, and a lot of it was was again very self-inflicted across uh, several platforms. Um, it was also the an exciting time because we had just launched Glory Kickboxing. We were one of the founders of Glory in 2012. Um, I was running the company for the first year, so again, uh, probably stretched too far, and that's a big learning again. Um, when you take on too much, you lose focus, and clearly that's what happened. The company, even though we had a great 212 um, on the back of it just the year the year or two after, uh, really disintegrated quite a bit because I guess I took the eye of the ball there. So uh, Glory was kicking off. We had pumped you know, a considerable amount of money into it as well to get it up and running. And, uh, and now we have this, you know, multiple fires across the whole company. So I had no choice, come back in and uh, start a cleaning act. Um, and that part of it was uh, just shrinking the company healthy. Uh, there was no other way around it. We had to, uh, to re, you know, build things and, and, and change stuff around. So at that time already, uh, we started to get it much more into other revenue streams, some sponsorship. Uh, licensing deals. Um, we created what we call branded real estate at that time, which is almost the reversal of a naming rights, where instead of the uh, brand paying to be on a you know major building, uh, we connected real estate companies with uh, global recognized brands, super brands like Armani, or in, at the beginning it was actually sports brands, and uh, and then leverage that brand and the co-branding, the power of it to create these amazing uh, real estate projects. So that became a very lucrative part. Uh, we have a whole sort of arm of the company for that now. We call it brandedrealestate.com. If you'd like to check it out. 
and uh, and on the back of it, uh, again, the company you know was starting to recover. Um, we were you know doing well again in different uh, in different spaces. Uh, we created this amazing Axiata Arena uh, here in Malaysia uh, by being a consultant to uh, the government and to uh, a place which we now renamed into the KL Sports City. So uh, the whole consulting business again was 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 taking off and and creating a whole range of new opportunities, working with governments and allow and helping them how to leverage sports. Um, and that, I think, is, a, is an interesting theme for, for my entire 23 years here in Asia as, I guess, one of the sort of founding fathers of the industry is that uh, what we're doing now uh, and what we maybe did 23 years ago, of course, is very different. There's still always still um, certain core elements of it. Yes, we still sell television rights. Uh, we still do certain things we did over the 20 years, but at the same time, I think we never stood still. Um, we've always reinvented us, um, and that's why I keep talking about these, you know, 3.0, 1.0, 4.0 versions here, because that's that helps me in my own mind to uh, create differentiations between the different things we've done as a company over the years. So uh, to kind of wrap up a bit um, the where we are, so uh, 3.0 was all about, as I said, sponsorship and licensing deals and, and a lot of very, very interesting things. Uh, again, very much out of the box thinking, I, um, I would argue. 4.0, which started probably around the year 2017, um, we were we were then getting very much into the digital space. Um, I was convinced that OTT was the future of content delivery. Uh, I'm still convinced of that, although uh, I've learned a couple of painful lessons in the process. Uh, that's not quite as easy as it sounds like. So we created a platform called SportsFix. SportsFix was um, the first OTT platform here in Southeast Asia, catering to a particular niche audience of uh, with the content. Uh, we didn't have the big budgets to go after major rights, so we started very niche, uh, building a good platform around it, uh, raised a bunch of money, and uh, and we were up and running. And we had a very very exciting team of young guys there working hard on it, and uh, and everything at the beginning looked great. Um, as I said, it was an extremely exciting time. TSA as a group pumped a lot of money into it as well, a lot of resources, of course, my time and other people's time was put into this. So the shorter and long story of that is that uh, eventually we, we couldn't sustain it. Um, the industry wasn't quite ready for it, or, or maybe the consumer and the, and the structures weren't quite there yet. You know, charging customers for the content and or bringing advertisers in took a lot longer than we were we had anticipated. And short of long of it is, we ran out of money uh, and had unfortunately to stop the business uh, and, and basically put it on hold. So in the process, of course, uh, a lot of pain was created uh, internally and externally, and uh, we still, to some degree, are cleaning things up there. You know, I will maybe find a different uh, another. Uh, Time to talk about that separately because it was an incredible learning experience um, on both ends. Um, at that time, we were looking at blockchain technology in 2018 and blockchain became the big thing. Uh, we actually created an ICO, an initial coin offering. We created an incredible white paper. We spent probably six months putting it together. Uh, I would say it, it was as good as any white paper I've seen out there, especially in sports. But unfortunately, it took us too long. Um, by the time we finally were up and running, it was in the middle of 2018. At that time, sort of the whole Bitcoin and, and the blockchain uh, or ICO craze had dropped. We couldn't raise any money anymore, unfortunately. 
and uh, and we had to abandon it. Uh, everyone, all the experts were telling us that we would be able to raise easily 20 or 30 million dollars on the back of our white paper. And of course, we thought that would be an amazing way to uh, bring new money into this and sustain the business. And that was really what's so interesting, you know, typical digital startup. You know, we were in conversations at one point in time with investors where after 18 months, the business was valued at 25 million US dollars and no one was blinking, um, neither were we. Uh, we actually thought it should be more, but uh, that again was an interesting learning. Um, and when you look at what happens to companies like, like WeWorks and others, you know, th- these, these numbers are somewhat arbitrary and it's always of course, uh, somewhat the valuation of whatever the last guy, the money he put in. And so, Great learning there, um, not all fun, but uh, you know, lots and lots of learnings coming out of it. And one part, you know, the more we were getting into digital, was clearly that esports is uh, is a space we should be looking at more, which we started to do, and we are in there much more now as well. Um, why is again to me very very easy to see. There is a lot of similarities. There is, uh, you know, there are players, there are athletes, there are teams, there are platform owners, which, you know, in some ways is no different than a, than a federation in sports, and uh, and many other things which uh, which which we do best, which we know we know how to generate revenue streams for. IP owners, and th- therefore that's where we're now in it. So we created a separate division called Total Esports, and that's very much focused on working with some of those amazing platform and, and teams out there. And uh, especially now in this time here, of course, that's an area which is helping us. So again, an interesting pivot in the uh, in the process. So where are we now? And I, you know, until about last year, I was very happy with the 4.0 version we were in. We were uh, making progress. Uh, we had started a football division as well. Um, we were looking at, you know, football trading players here in Asia. And, uh, and, and you know, again, just looking at where the industry was heading and, and where should we be as a company. Now here comes the virus. And, uh, and obviously everything gets thrown up in the air. Um, no one knows anymore where this is heading. Uh, we still don't see, have quite seen the end of it and how sports will come back in what form or shape. Uh, I'm in conference calls and I'm sit on several advisory uh, as an advisory on several boards and others and and I see everything in you know from excitement to of course complete uh, despair. So what does it mean for us as a company as TSA? I would argue really simply we are now uh, or we're starting now I would say the 5.0 version uh, post covid version. Um, and for us, there is a couple of key elements. Number one, it's our consulting business, which is running well. Um, we're consulting to several groups here in Asia, governments. Um, we're helping them to build a master plan in sports. And again, this started way before the virus, but of course now there are some interesting shifts of uh, how governments are focusing on sports to bring it back, both from a health point of view and getting their population and their, their citizen uh, moving and keeping them healthy. Of course, also how to create an industry around it, how to create revenue streams around it, and of course, you know how to create new athletes, which represent the country and, and, and everything in between. That's a very exciting space. We have started to be very focused on products and services which are needed by federations, by teams, by venue owners to create a safety or create a safe environment for fans. So whether these are products to screen temperatures, 
whether it's products to wear for the frontline staff, the same way what you see in a hospital, someone who will be selling tickets, someone who will be the usher, someone who will be selling uh, at the concessionaire, he, they need to have certain protection and gears on or uh, customers will not feel very comfortable. So to me, that's uh, it's again, it's, it's almost a no-brainer. Uh, we've sourced all the products here in Asia. Uh, we're working with a lot of factories in China, Malaysia, Thailand, etc. to find this amazing product and now working with clubs and, and other rights holders around the world to deliver this. So uh, this is, uh, again, it's just, I guess, being an entrepreneur, seeing there is a need and a demand for it and how do we fulfill this. So this is a, a very important part of currently what we're doing. Of course, our traditional sports space, sponsorship, media rights, we will, uh, we're still in it and we'll continue to be in it. Absolutely, you know, you always need to find help, find revenue streams for rights owners. Um, that uh, that will never stop. Um, and of course, that's hard right now. I'm pretty confident that uh, the world will be similar to 2008 and 9, where the marketing dollars, the advertising dollars, will be a lot tighter, a lot harder to get to. So you do need a great story. You need to figure out how to uh, to bring that money into your sport um, and that's for us now whether it is traditional sport or whether it's esports um, I think we have a nice and interesting offering there for folks and then the last one and that's uh, really an exciting space for me as well I've, I've started looking into this about a year ago and that is to develop a sports fund. Um, I'm working now with a group of people around the world to put together a large fund which allows us to invest in sporting properties. Uh, and again, whether that means a club, a team, a league, uh, or exciting uh, sports tech companies, uh, it could be anything in between. The groups I'm working with are more globally focused, but uh, my aim really is to build something here in Asia in the long run to uh, deploy capital from anywhere in the world um, to build up the ecosystem. So you might heard me say and or seen on, on our website where it says uh, that we've generated over half a billion US dollars of revenue for rights holders over these 20 years. And that's accurate. It's now, of course, more, um, but it's just a nice figure to throw out there. And my goal is to generate a billion dollars in the next 10. So we're doing 2x and half the time. That's my goal. Now, that doesn't mean it's all just, gen you know, traditional revenue streams of, you know, shining spot sponsorship contracts or whatever. Um, that could well be bringing funding and other other forms of, of new revenue or, or uh, liquidity to these entities here. So that's where we are. Um, that kind of wraps up, I would say, my first half hour here talking to you about the, the fun things I've done. I hopefully had a couple of things in there already sharing where my learnings, my painful experiences. Um, there is a whole lot more to it and, and I'll probably will have another session on that. Uh, there is so much more to be learned. I can definitely tell you that I've learned a whole lot more in the last, let's say, 10 or 13 years than I learned in the first 10 when everything was going great and we were just flying. Um, I'm not saying I had more fun uh, in the last 13 years. I probably had more fun in the first 10, but uh, the, uh, the learning was definitely more when things are not working well, when you are having to adjust uh, and constantly change directions to... Uh, to keep the company alive, to keep the company moving. So um, I'll leave you with that thought. Hopefully everyone is having a, you know, getting ready to come back out of uh, COVID-19. I hope you are thinking out of the box. That's the only way. I don't believe we can just go back to normal. There is no normal. There is a new normal, which we keep hearing everywhere. So uh, guys, 
keep doing this, keep talking to me. I love having these conversations with you guys. Um, I learn, you learn, hopefully in these conversations. And uh, I wish you all a great Sunday and uh, stay safe. Thank you. The Sports Entrepreneurs by Marcus Lure Podcasts are a collection of interviews and stories. All content in this podcast is the copyright of Marcus Lure. Reproduction and distribution of the presentation without written permission of the owner is prohibited. All rights reserved.